Welcome back. We're back with episode number 17 and still no theme song, but you're listening to Emo What? That's right, Emo What? Anyhow, we're going to continue on. You know, when I first started this uh, podcast, I kind of told you that what I was looking to do was tell you things that would make you go, what? You know, and that's the emo what. And I really, to be honest with you, I had to step back for a while and skip a few podcasts in order to be able to really come to terms with that because I wasn't fulfilling that. I was actually giving advice like on sales and giving advice on this and that. So I stepped back a while, took an examination, and I've come back to the table with episode number 17. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to research certain things that will make you go, what? Really? You know, exactly. Kind of like that, that book that you take to the bathroom when you read about quirky things. I'm hoping to be able to fulfill that slot right there because I'm sure there's absolutely no podcast that wants to waste your time doing that. And I'm taking on that challenge. So I'm hoping you will listen in uh, to future podcasts. And also you will share this with your friends. Share it on your Facebook. Share it on wherever you want to share it. I, you know, totally open. And just remember, we just have no theme song. Yet, da 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 So we're not really well produced. Actually, we're not produced at all. It's just me blabbering and, you know, coming to the table with a podcast and saying, Hey, this is what my podcast is all about. So I've noticed in, in researching a lot of other podcasts that some are about eight minutes, ten minutes, some are half hour. I kind of wanted to keep mine to the, the half hour segments, you know, so that way it gave you some information, but yet it wasn't, you know, stringing it on too long so that you go like, oh, my God, is this guy ever going to shut up? Which, you know, I'm sure that some of you had said that in my past podcast. Got a lot of reaction, but... Uh, Today's topic on episode number 17 is going to be Disneyland and Disney World, or the Disney Empire, with their hidden little secrets. That's right, and I'm hoping some of these things will actually make you go, what? Really? Uh, Needless to say, I used to live in in Anaheim, which is, uh, I would say, probably about seven blocks from where Disneyland, where, where Disneyland is located. And, of course, the locals, as being the locals, uh, we kind of knew of a lot of stuff that went on at Disneyland that being a tourist coming in for 10 days or 5 days or whatever, how many amount of days you came into town for, you never knew about, right? I mean, you wouldn't see these things or you wouldn't know about them because, to some extent, they try to keep it from the public because they, they have a certain brand they want to take care of and they have a certain image they want to project. So it's very interesting when the locals know some of the background stuff, you know, and you see things happening. You're going, oh, yeah, yeah, we know all about that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not like that anymore, but at one time they used to offer the locals because they understand, Disneyland understands that, how much uh, problems are created in the neighborhood by traffic, by noise, and by other things, trash and so on, from the people they attract because they're attracting people in the area. Now, I, you know, it's been years that I, you know, 20 years. I mean, I was back there not too long ago, but I didn't go to Disneyland at all. Uh, it's just not my kind of thing. Uh, when I lived in the area, I actually went quite frequently. And they used to actually sell a pass to local residents. And you had to bring your driver's license and show them, yeah, I live just down the street here. Uh, I think it was something for like $180 for the year. 
and you had your picture on it, and you had all your, you know, your vital information on there. So you could go with, you buy that $180 pass, I believe it was, and you could go unlimited times throughout the year. So that kind of helped because of the fact that what the way they looked at it was your relatives are going to come into town or your, you know, whatever, friends are going to come into town. And of course, you want to bring them to Disneyland because you're just local. If you have to pay the same price as the other people, like $30 every time or $40 every time, then, you know, and it was kind of a courtesy because then you could come and enjoy some of the special events that, you know, were happening that would happen in your neighborhood that would probably wake you up in the middle of the night. Fireworks every night? Exactly. So like New Year's Eve, I used to go every New Year's because it was totally cool. They only allowed a certain number of people into the park New Year's Eve. And yeah, we had to pay a little bit of a premium, like a little bit above the regular price or uh, not above the regular price, but we had to, we got a discounted ticket because we already had entry into the park, but we had to pay a little bit more because they were bringing in bands and everything. So, but that was Disneyland back then. Um, still not sure if they do that for the locals currently. It might be, who knows? Because I mean, they have, I don't know, something like in the millions uh, visitors every year and it's just like through the roof. I mean, it's a place that you can't even fathom, you know, they, they get so many visitors in a day and how much money they make in a day. It's just ridiculous, right? So I'm here to tell you a little bit, you know, there's some of these secrets that when I did the research, I didn't know, right? So let's start off with a real easy one. There, Cinderella's castle. So the Cinderella's castle at Disneyland was uh, constructed in where they got the model for that was actually the Neuschwanstein uh, uh, in uh, in in Germany. So that that uh, that that castle in Germany it was the replica or the template that they actually modeled Cinderella's castle at Disneyland. Now, the one in Disneyland has a, a suite in it. The one in Disney World has an actual prime suite inside the castle, uh, but not in Disneyland. Disneyland does not have the suite. It, it, uh, the uh, golden suite or the dream suite that they talk about is actually above the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. So at Disney World, Cinderella's Castle has what they call a dream suite. And it is plush beyond plush. It's fit for a, 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 a princess, of course, right? The dream suite or the, you know, beloved suite that they, the dream suite, which they call the, 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 the one at Cinderella's Castle at Disneyland was actually originally going to be Walt Disney's apartment for him and his family. But he passed away before it was completed. So they did complete it to his specs. It has 24 karat gold tiles, okay, and it has um, so it has 24 karat gold tiles, as I was just saying, and uh, it is above the Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, this particular dream suite is like phenomenally decked out, okay. I mean, it was going to be Walt Disney's apartment. So, now, here's another little secret. That was secret number one. So, if you ever can get a chance to get in there, uh, it's usually just, you know, used for very special people. And I'm sure that none of us are in that special category. Uh, the other one that is, uh, 
uh, a secret number two is when you go to Disneyland, above the fire station, there's actually a window. And that's the original apartment. Even though people will tell you that the apartment that's in the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was Walt Disney's apartment, that was never used by him because he passed away beforehand. Now, the one that is above where he lived during the building of Disneyland and its expansion is actually above the fire station right down there on Main Street as you come into the park. If you look into the window above the fire station, there should be a light that's on. Now, that light's on 24-7 now. But at the time when he lived there with his family, that light was only on when he was on the property. So everybody around knew, hey, Walt's here, better be on your best behavior. He was a stickler for detail, but also a stickler for just things to make things easier, right? Which leads me into another little secret. When you're there by the fire station, well, across the plaza, you should be able to see um, the great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And that was the first animatronics that was ever put into, uh, I guess, into production. And if you go in there, in the lobby, or in the foyer, you will see a bench in that foyer. That bench is actually from Griffith Park in Los Angeles. And that bench is exactly where Walt Disney was sitting when he came up with the idea for Disneyland. He actually originally wanted to build Disneyland by the Disneyland Studios in L.A., but there wasn't enough land or room. So he finally found this parcel of land in Southern California, in Anaheim, uh, which was all orange groves. And there are no oranges anywhere to be found anywhere around Disneyland anymore. <clears throat> but that bench is exactly where he thought up the whole idea of Disneyland. That was secret number three. It just went right by it, didn't it? But the one thing that Disneyland always wanted to always appeal to all of your senses as we move on down the road here. Uh, they want to appeal to your sight, your you know feeling, your touch, hearing, all of it. So much so that they invented a thing called, and I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but smellitizers. Smellitizers, what they will do is emit certain smells into the air on a, on a broad spectrum so that if you're walking past what should be like a row of bakeries, you will smell bread cooking. You will smell the muskiness of the Pirates of the Caribbean when you're going through that ride. So this is another secret that they have. They actually engage your olfactory in enjoying a certain ride. And I think this is just incredible because they're kind of manipulating every part of it, right? But, uh, you know, they're, they're making sure that you experience the full experience and that you're engulfed by that experience, which some people might have a problem with. Some people might say, wow, that's very ingenuitive. Another thing that's very ingenuitive was or is the tunnel systems that are both at Disney World and Disneyland. At Disneyland, the tunnel system goes down into the ground, about five stories. With Disney World, the tunnel system is actually at ground level and they've built up the park 
as an illusion to make it look like that's ground level. But you're actually on the second floor. When you go to Cinderella's castle, you're actually on the third floor of all the tunnel systems that are below, right? So below is everything. Now, the only reason all these tunnel systems, now you have to realize that Disneyland, the tunnel system came about as they were building it. Part of the park was already built, but they were building onto it. And he realized, what what Walt Disney realized was one day he was walking through the park and he noticed a character from one part of the park walking through another part of the park. So someone from like Tomorrowland was walking through Adventureland. So the character didn't fit and it upset him to the point where he said, this can't happen again. So every character, every part of the park has entrances from below so that you will never see a character like from, you know, the Safari Land or whatever or, you know, uh, wherever uh, roaming in, in the wrong characterization, like in the wrong land. Okay, and that is because they have five stories below and they have they have entrances to the various areas from underneath. So once a person is gone to work, like they come in, they go down the stairs, they go into the system underneath, uh, what will happen, and most of them, I think, I believe, uh, will actually park underneath. What will happen from there, they will go into casting, casting will get them into the right outfit, and then they will go off to go up the stairs and come out the appropriate entrance into the appropriate land, right? So that's which is very amazing. And once you're on the surface or once you're upstairs or once you're in the park, you cannot break character. And that's a hard and fast rule at both, at all their organizations. So that's just something really interesting and it just shows how detail-oriented Walt Disney was. So if you ever have the chance of going underground, if someone says, hey, you want to come and see below, grab it because there's very few people actually get to see underground. Uh, because it's a very kept secret, not only from, you know, executives and so on, but the people who work there are very proud in that secret and creating the illusion and keeping the illusion alive. And that's what their hard work is. So that's what's really interesting, you know. And then also, another thing that you will find at Disneyland, and this is secret number six, is that if you look at any of the garbage cans, don't put your hand in there, but if you look at any of the garbage cans, none of them will ever be full. And there are no bags in any of the garbage cans. And the simple reason of this is the garbage cans are all hooked up to a system underneath. Once you drop the garbage in there, it is vacuumed down. Trash goes into the trash facility or the garbage facility area at 60 miles an hour. Okay, so it's about 100 kilometers an hour for kilometer people, right? So once you drop, so don't put your head in any of the garbage cans because, you know, but what Walt Disney wanted to achieve was he did not want to have people roaming around the park picking up garbage or, you know, taking garbage from here to there or whatever. So there's this whole pipe system underneath that was installed. With Disneyland, the installation is like, in, in the unit, what they call utilitors, or in these utility uh, 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 tunnels, right? 
which people pass, but with uh, Disneyland or Disney World, it was because it was built at a later date. It was uh, installed, you know, inherently within the system. But it has its own garbage kind of, I don't know how to put it, but its own garbage dump and they, they process it. But the garbage is taken from the streets right down to there and it travels through these pipes. Only time that you will ever see a garbage can that might be overflowing is because it's, it's clogged or it's broke or something's wrong. The other thing that Walt Disney wanted to make sure was that none of the smell from the garbage cans came back up. And that's why he built that. He did not want to have a garbage smell within his park, right? That was not one of the senses that he wanted to activate in your mind. And so that's why he invented this whole thing, or it was uh, installed. He, he had that figured. Another thing that Walt Disney figured out was that every garbage can, whether you're in Disney World or Disneyland, every garbage can is... A, 25 paces from each other or 25 paces from the hot dog place, right? The, um, they are actually 30 feet apart, all of them. But the reason that came about that, it was, that the garbage can was 25 paces from the hot dog stand was because that's how long it took Walt Disney to eat a hot dog. And he figured that was the average. So if it took him 25 steps, then everybody else takes 25 steps to eat a hot dog. Eh, not quite sure, but, you know, kind of interesting how he came about of putting things in certain places and, and how detail-oriented, but how his mind was working towards giving you the experience or giving the experience to the person, right? And then number six, this is going to blow your mind. No pun intended, but this is going to make your mind go, bam, because Walt, or Disney World and, and, uh, and Disneyland, but Disney World, is the second largest consumer of explosives. That's right. Think about that for a moment. The second largest ex consumer of explosives. Who do you think number one is? Number one, drum roll, da -da 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 -da, is the U.S. military. So there's a U.S. military... And then there's Disneyland. And that's because at both, park, both parks, they have fireworks every night. They have, you know, ongoing things, special events. So, there you go. They're the largest consumer of explosives in the United States. And then second, or uh, number eight, when the Pirates of the Caribbean first opened, the skulls that are in, in like, when you ride through the ride, they have like skulls and bones and stuff like this on the beaches and so on. The skulls were, are actually from real human remains. The uh, Walt Disney had them go to uh, UCLA and they bought some real skull, uh, skulls from UCLA, the cadaver lab and all that. Uh, the reason being was because when they were first putting everything together, Fake skulls that they were getting were too soft and, and would collapse and, and break and fall apart. So they decided to go to UCLA. They bought actual skulls. Now, the skulls that are there now are now hard plastics. Okay, so they're harder and they're a different material. But some of the bones that are still in the display or in some of the Pirates of the Caribbean are still real bones. So there's still some real human bones that are down there.
Now, here's number nine. Number nine, Main Street. When you go down Main Street, all the shop names are named after someone of importance to the park. Okay, so it might be someone who had worked there for 35 years and retired, someone who was a contributor, whatever. But all of the names of the shops are names after real people, which I think is kind of interesting. But another thing, if you're ever there during a... Pre- now, this is, that was number nine. Number ten, I'm going to like run right into it, is that all of the people in the park, if you'll notice, never have last names on their name tags. Always first names, Right? And they're always made to play into character. Okay. Now, another thing that you might notice, and you might even be astonished by, whenever there's a parade down Main Street, which happens quite frequently in the in, in the run of a day at Disneyland, shortly after, there's no confetti, there's no mess, it's all gone. How do they get rid of it so fast? Well, remember the garbage cans that I told you about with the vents that run the garbage into their garbage system, their garbage pile or their dump pile? Well, if you'll ever notice along the curb, there are steel metal plates there. After after the parade, the steel, and they do it in a sequence, the metal plates will drop down, a vacuum will turn on, people will sweep the confetti off to the curbs, which will be sucked up by this vacuum system, and brought out to the garbage dump. And that happens as the parade progresses. And the, the little vents go up again, so nobody sees and nobody gets hurt. There's always someone around to be able to watch these vents. But next time you're at Disneyland, you might want to check that out, because I think it's really cool. Right? So now, that was, I think, number 11. Number 12 of Little Secrets is, because of 9-11, now I think this is only at Disney World and not Disneyland, but Disney World, above all of Disney World, is a no-fly zone because of 9-11, which is one of the rare, unique situations. The other places that are no-fly zones, above the president's house, above the president's, you know, properties, and so on and so forth. Like, you know, when we went to the bushes in Kinnebunk, it was a no-fly zone. They have buoys out in the water that are white, you can't go past certain distance, you know, when he was president. So, it's a no-fly zone over Disney World. Not quite sure about Disneyland. It might have the same privilege. But that is a privilege of privilege. The other thing, too. Uh, here's uh, getting close to the end here, because we're getting on to 22 minutes. Another secret of Disneyland is Tomorrowland was modeled on the year of 1987. So Tomorrowland is just is actually yesterday land, but they didn't. They figured they would never rename it. Um, I don't know why they didn't update it. Who knows? But because the park was built opened in 1955, 1987, which Tomorrowland was modeled on supposedly, right, was what 32 years away. So now you have a portion of the park that's actually dated. We'll see how they handle that in the future. So this is my last, number 13, or 14, I forgot, I lost count. This is my last secret of Disneyland, and my favorite, my favorite. That's why I kept it to the last, so let's have a drum roll. Okay, in 
as you're going into, I believe it is into uh, the jungle part, like it's just past, or no, in New Orleans, in the New Orleans area, uh, in the park, which is after the Pirates of the Caribbean, there are a slew of doors and, you know, shops and everything there. Well, if you walk down on the left-hand side, you will see a door marked Club 33. Strangely enough, Disney World, Disneyland, and Euro Disney all have Club 33s. The original one is the one at Disneyland, which was there for dignitaries and important guests and sponsors and investors and so on into the into the park. Uh, you know that that club was put there in 1955 when it opened. And it's an exclusive club. It is the only place on the grounds that they serve alcohol. So, and it is a restaurant and a lounge. To be a member there, you have to pay $25,000. I think this is an old uh, old number. $25,000 initiation. And then you have to pay a maintenance fee every year, I think, of something like $15,000 or $10,000. And then you have, you know, uh, your fees for other things. But you also get a privilege to the park at different times, you know, and so on and so forth. But here's the kicker. There is a 10-year waiting list to become a member. 10 years. They suspended it for a couple years to kind of wean the list a little bit. Uh, But now they've opened up the list again, and there's a 10-year waiting list to become a member of the... Club Club 33, which that is my finishing point. That is my favorite one because I think nobody really realizes that Club 33 is that exclusive and it's on Disneyland. It's got hard liquor. It's got all everything you want, everything your little heart desires, but even better. Here's the tip. Here's a little bit more juicy secrets. If you're ever at Disneyland and you're going through the Pirates of the Caribbean, you will see the restaurant called Blue Bayou which anybody can go to, right? But if you look above it, there is another, like a balcony, and you can tell it's kind of like a club or whatever. Sometimes it's lit, sometimes it's dark. But that upstairs portion of the Blue Bayou is Club 33. So there you have it, all the secrets on Disneyland Disney World. Not all of them, I'm sure there's a ton more. I hope you enjoyed my secrets. I'm hoping that some of these secrets made you say, Say what? You know what I'm talking about? Because this is the emo what podcast. And I hope you tell your friends because my next episode, my next podcast, is going to be on uh, the secrets of the rich and famous. Ooh. Yes. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be going through some of the things that musicians and artists demand when they're on tour. And we'll have some juicy stuff. Believe me. So stay tuned. Come back to the next episode, which is episode number 18, for the secrets of the touring artists and what their demands are. And I hope you enjoyed this one. My name is Emo LeBlanc. You can catch me at www.emoleblanc.com. You can get me on Twitter at Country Music Emo. Or you can follow me also on Instagram, Emo LeBlanc. Or look me up on Facebook. I'd be more than glad to friend you. So, follow me on Twitter at Country Music Emo. And 
You'll find out when the next podcast is going to be. You have yourself a good, good week.